Welcome to the Real Estate Marketing Podcast. My name is Jerome Lewis. I am your host for today. The Real Estate Marketing Podcast is a podcast where we talk marketing, tech, business, and leadership. We talk these things for real estate agents, real estate investors, and real estate entrepreneurs. The Real Estate Marketing Podcast is a podcast that has two purposes. Purpose number one, to educate and inform our audience and our listeners. Purpose number two, Kyle, to spotlight you, your business, your service, or your product in a way that provides value to you, including market exposure and content creation. With that, we have a very special guest, Kyle Jetsu. Kyle is known as the Driven Autism Dad, who coaches autism parents on solving at-home autism challenges. Over 15 years ago, when Kyle's son was diagnosed with autism, there was a minimum awareness for help and help for parents. Kyle and his family felt they were being asked to take a test they didn't know about for a class they never took on a subject with no guide. When the, when the traditional experts, books, and therapies failed to help them solve their at-home autism challenges, Kyle became driven to lower stress in his family and learn how to thrive as they raised their kids. Now, Kyle teaches that same framework and recipe, which is customizable to each family's unique needs and situation to help them become a top 1% happy family. Kyle, thank you for being here. I'm excited that you're here. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jerome. I'm happy to be here. It's good to see Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Uh, Kyle, uh, you we, we met in a coaching group and a, a, a mastermind, and you told your story, and it, it touched my heart. Um, so I would like you to uh, just... Tell us like how you got to where you got to. Your bio talks about it a little bit, but I want to hear from you like personally your words and why you chose to do and why you chose to serve the people that you you, you serve. Yeah, so um, I have a pretty big family. I have six kids and my two middle sons <clears throat> are on the autism spectrum, one being more severe. And severe autism is, um, he doesn't really do a lot of talking. He's got some very... Uh, heavy limitations uh, uh, mentally, and so it's a little tricky. Uh, so I, I guess to to backtrack to kind of our story, um, when uh, when we had our first two sons, the first two typical boys, I've always been uh, the kind of guy that likes to learn from others' experience, and so I was not afraid to read books, study guides, take courses on raising kids. Right, I wanted to raise this ultimate happy family that loved each other and just had a ton of fun. You know, it's kind of the dream I think we all have at one point in our lives, right? And with our first two sons, two typical boys, my wife and I were doing pretty good, right? We uh, we we were setting, uh, establishing boundaries, creating different ways to manage those kids. And certainly they were boys, right? So they were, they were, they were feral, right? That's what boys are. They're kind of crazy as little kids, but, but we had a, a pretty good rap on what we were doing. Uh, then my third son came along and uh, it seemed, by the time he was about three, my wife and I looked at each other and it was like we had lost all ability to parent. Right. Nothing that we had tried with my first two sons was working whatsoever. He would have these outbursts, screaming and yelling. He wasn't talking. He was very delayed uh, mentally. Uh, even even in some physical aspects, he was very delayed. And we we were we were just wondering what was going on. And you've got to understand, my, he's now 23. So this was 20 years ago, right? When this was happening. And back then, 
autism, the only thing anybody really knew about autism was a little boy sitting in a wheelchair kind of stemming, right? That's kind of all. Way back then, that was what autism was. And so we started putting him uh, in some preschool stuff at about four and five years old. And he was having outbursts at school and there was he was really just absolutely unmanageable. And so eventually uh, a teacher came to us and uh, she said, have you ever considered having him tested for autism? And to us, the only thing we knew about autism was, like I said, a, a, you know, a kid in a wheelchair stemming. And we didn't realize it was a spectrum at that point. But we were really interested in helping him, right? Because we knew our house had become a, a chaotic situation, right? It was the stress was over the moon. Like uh, he'd wake up and he couldn't find something, maybe a puzzle piece or a, a Lego piece. And he would start screaming like and scream for hours, right? And we, we couldn't console him or calm him. And so we, we were looking for any answers we could find. So we said, yeah, let's let's see what we can do. And, and at about the age of four, we finally got him tested and he was tested and he came back as uh, classic autism back then, which was on the more severe side of the autism spectrum. And at the moment, my wife and I were felt relieved. Right. Because we said now that we know we can get him the help that he needs. Right. And so we went through all the different things that the experts and the specialists and you know, all these really expensive doctors told us to do therapies and, uh, you know, special uh, trainings. And there's a, something called ABA, which is applied behavioral analysis, which is supposed to help them. And so we, we started doing all those things. And over the year, over a year period or year or two period, uh, we had him in speech therapy and it was helping him. And those doctors did their jobs well. But somehow in our, the back of our minds, I think we assumed that if he got the help he needed, then he would he would calm down at home. Right. And maybe he would start acting more typical. And but that wasn't the case. Right. The, the specialist and the therapists, they did what they did, but they didn't really solve our at home autism challenges. Now, when I say aut autism challenges at home, I'm, I'm talking about. Things, uh, everything from uh, meltdowns where he would just, so we wouldn't know what would happen. He would just start screaming and yelling and throwing things. He had no line that he wouldn't cross. If there was a, if there was a heavy object in the room, he would pick it up and smash it through a window. He would uh, come at us uh, with his fist balled up like he wanted to hurt us. He would bite us. He would uh, kick. He would scream. He would smash. If his iPad or, or his if his TV flickered, he would throw something at it and smash it, right? So there was all these, and it created tremendous stress in our home because my two older sons didn't know what to do, right? And we as parents didn't really know what to do. Uh, so even though we put him in all these therapies and specialists, and we even at one point uh, wrapped up some of his poop and shipped it over to France to get diagnosed, right? I mean, we tried everything and spent thousands upon thousands of dollars trying to get him the help he needed. And like I said, they did help in the areas that they were supposed to, but they didn't help with us at home, right? With his behaviors and his overstimulation and those kind of things. And so um, it kind of all came to a head after a few years of this struggling with the overwhelming stress in our home. Uh, one Saturday morning at about 630 in the morning, uh, we were the whole house was awakened by this blood curdling scream. Right. It's, it's kind of like if you've ever watched a horror movie 
the girl that screams when she's right, this, the most scary scream. And it woke our whole house up and we knew he had gone into a meltdown. And so uh, typically meltdowns will last anywhere from 10 minutes to maybe an hour at the most. This okay. one lasted four hours. Right. And so there was uh, windows smashed out. He had kicked a couple of holes in walls. My two older typical sons had hid in their room and locked their door because they didn't want to get caught in the crossfire. And my wife and I were doing everything we could to calm him, but it just wasn't working. Right. We'd get him a little bit calmed down and then ramp back up and start screaming and smashing and get violent again. And remember, this is like a five, six year old just destroying our home. It felt like there was an earthquake going on while there was a flood during a tornado. You know, it was just overwhelming stress. Right. And so when we finally got him calmed down after about four hours, my wife and I were so stressed out, you know, and this wasn't new to us. He would do this almost every day. He would have these these major meltdowns. And when we finally got him calmed down, I think sometimes when things are going wrong, you look for someone to blame. Right. And even though there was really no one to blame here, my wife and I kind of turned on each other. And she said, you know, if you would show him more love, maybe he would calm down. And if you would have done this. And I said, well, if you would give him some discipline, you know, it's kind of that the, the common things where that parents argue over with their kids. Right. Mm -hmm. And and my wife was I come from uh, an inner city, Dallas, where. Uh, when things go wrong, you fight. Right. That That's who you are. Right. You're built for. <laughs> that's who you. But my wife was this beautiful wonderfully feminine, like the most feminine of feminine women. Right. And she would cry. But, in, but this morning she was angry too. And it, it became a fight like a, like verbally, we were just sparring. And I remember thinking, this is not stopping, you know, I've got to do something to, to calm this. And so I grabbed my keys and I went out on the front porch and I remember thinking in my mind, this is not what I signed up for. This is not the life I wanted. I'm out of here. But I was going to hop in my car and I was just going to leave. And I was I was done. I, I couldn't. You know, you get to that point sometimes where you think I can't take it anymore. I've got to make a, a major change. Right. And at that moment, while I was standing on the front porch, a memory of my dad came into my mind. And it was when I was about 12 years old, I was playing baseball. And I was playing shortstop and there was two outs and uh, we just needed one out to win the game. We were ahead in the game. And uh, of course, the guy, the kid hit it at me and I, and I made an error. I fumbled the ball and he got on base. Well, then the next kid got a hit and the next kid and the next kid and we lost. And it was all my fault. Right. This memory popped into my mind. And I remember walking over to my dad, you know, as a 12 year old. And I was so sad and I was dejected. This was my life at 12. You know how it is when you're 12. Yeah. Absolutely. Losing the sporting yes. event. I walked over to my dad and I said, I wish they hadn't hit the ball to me because then maybe we could have won. And my dad, in, in the kindest way possible, leaned into me and he said, you know what, Kyle? That's not the way we do things. If you are, we never go down without the biggest fight. If something is worth winning or losing or fighting for, you do not ever pass it off to someone else. Don't you go down without the biggest fight you can ever give if something's important, right? And in that moment, he taught me that to, to practice and work at things and then let the chips. He said, we're not, we're not going to win every game, but don't you ever pass the buck to someone else. You take full and total. You want every ball, every game hit to you. That's who you want to be at your core. 
right? So that memory popped into my mind at that moment. And I thought, you know, I can't leave. I've got, I'm fixing this. I'm going to figure this out, right? I don't care. But at the moment I had done everything everybody said to do, right? There was no guide on raising kids on the autism spectrum at home, right? I was doing everything that I was supposed to do and not getting the results that we needed as a family. And so I did something else in that moment that my father had taught me. And that's when you have nowhere else to turn, you turn to God, right? And so I walked over. We had a big pecan tree in our front yard. This is in Texas. And I kneeled under that pecan tree and I just prayed. And I said, I, God, I'm not leaving. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this or I'm going to die trying. I'm not giving up. I know I need to be here with my family. I know it's the right thing to do. I need your help. And in that moment, I felt God say to me, the problem is not your kids and the problem is not your wife. The problem is you. You need to lead this family to a place where they need to be. And I remember in that moment, I'm, I'm thinking, but you don't understand, God. I've done everything. I've right. I remember arguing with God. And I think we've, pro we've probably all done that at one point or another. And just thinking and thinking, you know, it is what I, I've got to lead. Right? I've got to. My wife had lost faith in me as a leader. I wasn't handling situations properly. I wasn't uh, protecting her and taking charge of things. And so in that moment, I remember walking back inside. I think my wife saw me kneeling under the tree. So I think she knew. But I said, you know what? I'm not leaving and I'm going to figure this out. We're not going to live like this anymore, but I'm not leaving and we're going to figure it out. And I think she had she had lost so much faith in me. She said to me, well, good luck with that. That's what she said. Right? I was expecting her to support me. That's not what I got in that moment. But at that moment, I thought, you know what? I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to read every book. I'm going to study. I'm going to create a world where we can, as a family, can thrive in this chaos. Right. And so that became the real that became the moment I said, I'm no longer going to let this world uh, control how our family feels. I'm going to take responsibility for managing myself and this these circumstances in a way that allows us as a family to thrive. And that was the day that I just started thinking, OK, it's me. I'm the problem. I got to fix me. And so from that moment forward, I started creating strategies for me so that when he would melt down, I would, you know, the worst thing, the worst thing that could do is when he would melt down is when I would melt down. Right. It's I would go into fight or flight or freeze. And that's the worst thing I could possibly do. For me, it was fight. For my wife, it was freeze, right? Right. And so I thought, I've got to overcome this, these feelings. And luckily, I had had some experiences growing up. I boxed a little bit. I played a lot of sports. And I realized the only way you manage those things is to prepare yourself for them, right, and create a plan. And so in that moment, I started creating a curriculum for our family that turned the tide for us, right? When he would have meltdowns, we would handle them well. And we would go back to being a happy family. And my kids became unafraid. My wife, I regained, regained her trust in me and repaired the relationship with her. And we ended up, you know, to this day, we have a top 1% happy family and a top 1% happy marriage. Even while we raised our kids through the chaos, right? And I called it Thrive in Chaos. You're not going to be able to avoid those difficult things. But if you can learn to manage them in a way, yourself in a way, 
that allows you to handle those things properly, then you can you, others can see that you can model that behavior and you can create a happy, fulfilled world for people, in, even in the midst of the chaos. So, thank thank you for sharing that. And um, one of the things that you mentioned is like this is all my fault. And I always tell people, it's like, your life is your responsibility. It's your fault, even when it's not. And you actually want that because when it is your fault, you can do something about it. When it's your fault, you can do something about it. When it's not your fault, there's nothing you can do about it, no matter how bad you want to do it. There's nothing you can do about it. I totally believe in that. You have to take responsibility, not just for you, but for everybody else too, right? Mm -hmm. You have to take responsibility for your relationships. Sometimes you have to deal with people that are difficult. You, if you take responsibility for managing that relationship in a way that's productive, you can create that, right? You can really, and it's all about you. You're right. It's completely about you and how you present and how you manage. And, and I'm a big fan of, uh, of creating a plan, right? If I see a problem, I'll go back and I'll say, okay, I'm going to outline the problem. And I have a, a formula that I call cost, right? And it, the, the C in cost is for challenge. What is the challenge, right? And I'll write out all the details of the challenge. The O in cost is objective. What is my true objective here, right? I want to know where I want to get with this. And maybe it's a relationship that's difficult. And I want to create a great relationship, right? The challenge is this individual's nuts and they have no discipline. And, you know, you can go through a list of all the things, but it's my responsibility. What do I want the objective to be? I, I still want to have a great relationship. I still want to deal with them at their level, right? And the S I call, the S in cost is for strategy. What is my strategy going to be, right? And I want to name it so that I can remember that strategy when I need it, right? In this case, maybe it's a, a dealing with an idiot strategy, right? And that, that sounds <laughs> It's easy yeah, to remember, it's true. Right? Yeah, right? And then absolutely. The, and then the tactics. And the tactics, I will write out specific steps, right? Start with patience, right? Start with love. And what I've what I've learned is no matter what tactics you have, if you do it things in a spirit of love, if you say, I'm going to put myself in a state, in a mental and physical state of love, right? It's easier to exercise patience. It's easier to understand their perception and where they're coming from. And, it, and it's easier to uh, convince and to influence them because you know where they're coming from you empathize where they're coming from right but but that's really been the key to what i do with with families is i say let's let's look at the prop the challenge what do we want the objective to be what's the strategy name let's create tactics and so with kids that have autism they do crazy things right they're they're super defiant they'll argue over things that don't make any sense they'll um there's just a lot of unique things that happen. But this formula, the cost formula, is really powerful because then you can say, okay, now instead of just getting sucked into an argument, I've got a plan, right? And that plan starts with love, right? I'm going to do this in a spirit of love. And when you start there, the rest of the tactics don't matter so much, but they do, right? You just have to have a plan when you go into these events. And I think it's true with almost any frustration we or problem we have in our life is if we go into it in a spirit of love, especially with other people, and we carry that with us, they feel that, right? And it's a, it's a very powerful thing. Thank you, Kyle, uh, for sharing that. Your expertise is uh, like autism, right? Like autism at yes. home. 
uh, I would like to hear from you, like when people have an expertise or they're working in an industry or a niche, there are often misconceptions that people get wrong. So I pose to you the first question I want to ask you is, uh, what's a common myth about autism and like what it is that you do um, that people project and, you know, tell us about that? Yeah, so I think the most common thing that I see is, and you probably, I think we all suffer from this. We think we're the only ones who have this very unique problem, right? Okay. Walk a mile in my shoes, but you can't really, and it, it to me, it's, uh, I don't want this to sound wrong, but it's an arrogant state to put yourself in, as if you're the only human being who's ever experienced something like this. Right. Mm -hmm. But what we do is we all want to default to that, because if we do, then no one else can understand and no one else can help us. Yeah. Right. And so what I see with families all the time is they'll say, well, my child is unique. My family is unique. My situation is unique. There's no way that you can help me solve my problems at home with autism. Right. And so it's really important for us to say to address that early on and say, you are unique, you are different, you are right. But there is a framework that we can plug in that, that can help you. Right. Too often we say, let me solve your problem. Here's the answer. And I think people resist that, but uniqueness to their situation, even though 90% of it is all the same, right? 90% yeah. of the answers are right. <laughs> people don't want to believe it because they're struggling with these problems. They don't want to believe there's an easy answer. So we almost have to go into it and say, you know what? I see that you've got you this unique situation. Your family's unique. Your situation is unique. Let's talk about a framework we can use that you can use to, to create your own specific strategy for, for success in this area, right? Now, 90% of the time, it's the same strategy everybody uses, but now you overcome their barrier, which is, no, you can't help me. I'm a victim. I'm always going to be a victim. This is this, there's no answering this problem. I'm going to suffer the rest of my life and be a victim. And there's there's power in victimhood. Right. There's tons of power. I mean, I can fuss on the Internet and people come to my rescue. I can right. I never have to take responsibility for anything. I, there's so many there's so many powerful things that come with victimhood that it's hard really for people to escape it. Right. But the minute you do. You start to, like you said, you start to, you take responsibility for everything. You really start to create, you start to craft your world and craft it in a way that's more valuable to you and more productive for you. So that's the the, the number one common myth, I believe. Thank you. Uh, something that you mentioned uh, is everybody thinks they're like, and we are, right? We all are unique in a way. But sure. most people have experienced our problems. There's years upon years and books and videos and movies and all this stuff where we've been through. And what you're talking about, I experienced that all the time. People think their business is unique. My business is unique. I don't need marketing. My customers down out there. It's the same stuff. And it's exactly what you said. Yes, it's unique. Yes, you're unique in that way. But there are frameworks and principles that you can apply across the board and they work. You just have to let it work or you have to implement it so it can work. So I appreciate you sharing that. Sure. You know, we used to call we used to have what we call the yeah, but I call it the yeah, but syndrome. Right. Somebody would give us advice and we'd say, yeah, but I have two kids on the spectrum and one is severe and one's moderate mm -hmm. and one's an introvert and one's an extrovert. You don't understand. 
right? Mm-hmm. Or they would say, have you tried this? Yeah, but, right? Yeah, but we always have this, yeah, but. And mm-hmm. it's, it really limits our ability. Instead of saying, yeah, but we say, how could that work? How could, you know, a, a lot of people in the autism industry don't like other people helping them. They, somebody else say, have you tried this? And they say, you don't even have kids on the spectrum. Don't tell me what to do. You don't understand. But the people that are offering this advice generally are offering it in a spirit of love. They want to help. Why would we put the hand up and say, I I always, no matter who tells me, they can present an idea and I'll say, you know what? I should consider that, right? And I will. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not so good. But it's our responsibility. If we take the responsibility for saying, you know, I'm going to take that and I'm going to customize it for me then every idea is a great idea, right? We might we might find out it doesn't work, work specifically, but at least we're not closed-minded to different opportunities that are presented to us. Tell, tell me about the most important lesson you've learned and like what it is that you're doing, like dealing with autism. Like what's one key, like strongly important lesson that you've learned? The, the greatest lesson I've learned is that, well, I, I'll say it's two parts. One is I grew up uh-huh. tough. I grew up in an atmosphere where if you didn't express yourself in toughness, you were a victim. You got you better stand up. Right. And and it made me uh, a fighter. Right. It made me uh, unafraid. And 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 I realized that it, it takes more strength as a man mm-hmm. to yes. sometimes be passive. Right. To sometimes listen and sometimes Take the side of of kindness, right? Because if somebody comes at you with their fist balled up, your natural inclination is to drop them like a sack of dirt, right? But that does not work in 99% of situations, right? Very rarely. And so the first thing I realized is is if I can change, if I can go from this guy that would just as soon drop you like a sack of dirt, then be kind to you. And I can change myself into a, a, a man who is driven by love and kindness. Anybody can do it, right? The second thing I would say is it is vital in our lives that we are thoughtful in how we manage our emotions, right? People come at us from all angles with all kinds, all angles with all kinds of things. We have to stop and think what is most productive, right? Is this thought, is this thought even productive or unproductive? Is my thought helpful or hurtful? And how can I do it in a spirit of love? Right. And if we if we stop, no matter what comes at us, if we say, is this productive or not productive for me and for them? Is it helpful or not helpful for me or for them? And how can I do it in a spirit of love? It sets a stage for us to be kind and loving and and uh, collaborative with almost everyone. And I'll share a story with you, Jerome. It's pretty funny. I I used to drop my kids off at school in the morning mm-hmm. and I. I would come to this four-way stop, right? Same four-way stop every day. One day I came to this four-way stop and I was on the right and the guy in a truck was on the left. This was back in Texas. And we came at the same time. We stopped at the same time. Well, legally, when two cars stop at a stop sign at the same time, the one on the right goes first. So I started going. Well, he was not happy, okay? And he pulled out in that truck and he started chasing me. And I could see the anger in his face, you know, and the natural Kyle, I start sizing him up. He's in a big truck. That's number one thing. Number two, he's way too close to the steering wheel. Number three, I can handle myself. 
that's not a game you want to play, brother. You know, I'm thinking all, all this is going, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, don't you, Drew? All this is going through my mind, right? I'm thinking I'm just going to pull this little sucker out of this truck, this, his, this little sucker out of this big truck, teach him a lesson. He won't do this crap no more. This is all going through my mind, right? And I stop and I go, is it productive? Is it helpful? How can I do this in a spirit of love? Right. So we get to the next stop sign and I, he's just screaming at me. I can see him over there screaming. And so I rolled down my window and I think he expected a fight. And I said, hey, you know what? If I did something to upset you, I sure am sorry. And his countenance immediately yeah. changed. He looked at me for a second and his face went from angry to, oh, Oh, it's okay. That's what he said. It's okay. Right. And and I'm like, wow. And we and we went down the road, right? Well, you're yeah. not gonna believe it. Jerome, the very next day, the exact same thing happened. Same stop, same guy. So, you know, I didn't want to make that mistake again. So I said, Come on, you go. And he's like, Oh, no, no, you go, you go. He smiled at me so big, right? And I'm thinking, how powerful is it? Right. And I, by the way, I'm still a man. I ain't afraid. If, right. if it all goes down, you want to be in a right. foxhole. You got to do what you got to do. Mm -hmm. But how powerful was it that I just said, I thought, is it productive? Right. Is it helpful? And how can I do this in a spirit of love? Right. And it changed the dynamics of that of that experience for him and for me. And now we're best friends. Right. And it, it's so powerful when you can manage your emotions and when you can catch yourself in those moments and change the dynamics of inter inter interactions with people on a very consistent basis. I, I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, when I was in high school, I had a very similar um, encounter and we were playing basketball and you know how guys get. And the guy, there was this one guy and like you, I'm like, I can handle myself. And yeah. I forget who threw the ball. Somebody threw the ball, but we were angry and an apology happened. And all of the anger and it just stopped. And I was right. like, wow, there is power. And eventually I started to grow up and I started to read more. And I pulled my book off the shelf. Yeah. The Art of War. And I love warfare. But what I'm more impressed with, like Sun Tzu, he always talks about like the best, the best way to disarm your opponent is to 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 win against your opponent is not fighting at all. Right. Not fighting at all. No fight, right? When it's time to go to war, it's time to go to war. But the best right. way to do that is through words, talking, having conversations, negotiations. That's the best way to defeat your opponent. So I appreciate you sharing that. That was a very beautiful yeah. story. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Kyle, tell us, um, I have a question. Uh, what's one thing about your expertise that almost no one agrees with you about? <laughs> you know, I think, I think people start to believe this is my new life, right? And, and I, and I, I've lived, I think people get into patterns mm -hmm. and the patterns start to run their lives as opposed to their thoughts and what they decide they want their life to be. Right. And so a lot of the people that I, that I deal with, um, a lot of moms who have kids on the autism spectrum want to fight for their kids' rights, okay. right? They, they say, well, I got to fight for the services and I got to fight for this and I got to fight for this. And what that does is it makes you a fighter. 
And like you said, people don't respond to fighters, right? If you go in demanding things, people say they put up their hands, right? And they're ready. They respond you know back with battle, they right? With it. Yeah, bring it, right? Whereas when you when you love for services and when you love, right? When you love for things, when you go in and say, hey, let me tell you what I'm after and here are my expectations and I really know you have limitations, right? And you and you see people on their level, uh, you get so much more. I'll, I'll share a story with you. My wife one time invited me to a meeting with her with to talk about my more severe son's schooling, right? And these, these meetings can be uh, conflicts because the moms want as many services they can get, but the schools are limited, mm -hmm. right? They only have so many teachers, so much time. And so these things are notoriously a, a big conflict and angry and, and fighting, right? And so my wife one time says, hey, will you go with me to this meeting? And I said, sure. I said, you want me to look mean? She said, no. I said, you want me to say something just in case there's trouble? I'll no. She says, you sit there and smile. You say nothing. And I said, well, why am I even here? I'm, I'm here to protect you and be the man. You know? And she said, no, your job is to take notes. I don't take good notes. I need you to take notes. But say nothing and smile. Don't look mean. Don't look angry. Well, we walked into this meeting. And the first thing my wife did was she said, you know what? I want you guys to know that I know you chose this career. You chose to serve my son. I didn't really choose it, right? I, I was born into it, but you chose it. And I want to tell you how much I appreciate that I know you care for him. And you, because you chose, he feels, when you give him love, he feels it. So I want you to know how much I appreciate everything you do for my son. I just want all, each of you to know that it it's hard for us as parents to hand our special kids over to you guys. But I gladly do it because I know you love him and because you're taking care of him at a high level. And there was not a dry eye in this room. Right. And then when she asked for things, she got everything and every person in there could not wait to love on her son and give him every possible service they could. Right. The biggest misconception, I think, is people think I've got to bully people into what I want or I've got to. I've got to stand up straight and say, here's what I'm getting and you're giving it to me, right? And the misconception is people stand back. They, they put up the barriers, right? The misconception, I think, is I think you have to go in and you say, hey, let's collaborate on this. Let's find something that we can work on together because I have I want X and you want Y. And I want let's work on it together and, and do it in a spirit of a collaboration in the right attitude right and when you and when you go into things like that it changes the dynamics of everything right and that's what i that's really jerome you know you know doug that's what i love about doug right is he's he uh doug Rotten, he him right you can feel that he wants you to succeed and he's not selling you this because he's trying to make money he wants you to succeed right the end result is that he does better financially, but ultimately he wants you to succeed and you can feel it, right? He is there for you. And I just love that. And I think that's the biggest misconception in business too, is that you have to win and somebody else has to lose. And that's not really true, right? There's, there's many different ways for you to collaborate in both winning situations. 
Absolutely. Let's learn about Kyle personally. Tell me, uh, tell me something that people misunderstand about you most as a person. You know what? I'm, I'm, I think I'm a pretty open book. You probably know that by now. I'm a pretty open book, but I, I, I didn't even know one. The one thing that I think people, you know, after high school, I kind of moved away and did my own thing. And, and people who knew me back then are shocked when they meet me now. Right. <laughs> because the, the kid they knew back. Yeah. The kid they knew back yeah. then was, I had a, a friend. Uh, a, I thought he was a friend, but he told me the Kyle back then was really hard, just hard. And he see a few years later, probably 15 years later, and I saw him in a random meeting and he said, within seconds, I could tell you were completely different. Your hardness was completely gone. And I, and I think uh, the people that know me now don't know. It's still in there, by the way. You know how this is, Jerome. <laughs> if it all goes down, brother, you want me in the foxhole with you because I'm I am nasty. My natural. The natural Kyle is an enemy to God. There ain't nothing nice in here, boy. It's mm -hmm. just mean and dirty and nasty, right? But I know that's not what's best for me and for the world, right? I, I want right. to change my nature, but it's still down there. And occasionally it leaks out a little bit and people see it and you can see there, right? Occasionally, because it, it never it never leaves, you know? So so the the real, the the Kyle growing up was forced to be hard. You know, and you probably have experienced this too, Jerome, if you, you know, depending on where you grew up in some, in some worlds, my world growing up, inner city Dallas, it was vital that yeah. I'd be hard, right? Or I became, I, I couldn't have survived. You know, you just had to be that person, right? And you look at me now and you think, I can't even imagine that guy, right? Well, don't fool yourself. We come in all shapes right. and sizes, right? Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> We do. Yeah. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would that one thing be? You know what? I want to be the greatest dad. And, you know, I, I, I it took me 50 years to, to, it took me 50 years to understand my purpose. Right. Okay. And I don't share this a lot, but my purpose is to uh, live a magnificent and meaningful life spent serving others and i want to spread joy i want um my dad my dad was a get quick get get rich quick guy who never got rich right he went from one thing to the, another his whole life but the one thing that that getting trying to get rich quick did was it gave him hope and it kept him happy and buoyant and when he died he left this wake of happiness everywhere he went i would meet people that would that would say, "Are you, do you know Jerry Jetzel? I'd say, it's my dad. And they would almost cry and hug me and, and say, I love him, right? And, and, it, and it made me realize the real legacy is not the things we live, we leave behind, right? The money or the, or the kid, you know, I, I get a little annoyed at this, that people that say, I want to leave a legacy and it's money, right? Or a business. I think the legacy is leaving behind a wake of joy and happiness. Right. People that come across you are left feeling better and they're happier just because they met you. Right. 
And so I want to be remembered for the guy that if, if I came up, whether you're a cashier at a grocery store or whether you're my best friend, I left you better than when I met you, right? You felt me and you felt better and you felt buoyant about what's going on in your life. So that's really what I want to be remembered for. Just like Thank my dad. You. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, these are like bonus questions. They're meant to, they're like selfish on my end. They're meant to stomp. Yeah. I also like to try to figure out how I can I serve my guests. So the first question is, and the questions will be very similar. The first question is how can someone bring immediate value to you or your business? Wow. that That's a good question. To my to my to me is probably just to share share my message and it would be the same for my business right if you come across people that are that have kids on the spectrum and say hey you need to meet Kyle right and send them in my direction <laughs> okay that would be more than anything right because they they're gonna if they uh, if they're if they meet me they're gonna feel me okay right or even even if they contact me, they're going to feel me. You know, my goal is for you to feel me, right? And if I'm in the grocery store and I'm working with a cashier, she, she or he's going to feel me. I'm going to say, how are you doing today? It's good to see you. I hope things are going okay. Has it been busy? They're going to feel me, right? I want to leave them better. So, yeah, that that would be it. Is, is anyone you see or hear of that may be struggling or that just may need help raising their kids or not really sure where to turn, point them in my direction. They're gonna they're gonna feel they're gonna feel me they're gonna know there's an answer and hopefully I'm gonna be able to help them you know start to to live their best life and and I've seen it so often now I've seen families started being repaired and lives start to change simply because they now have a plan right and they know they can do it and if that's what I give them is is the hope that they can do it it's a powerful thing for me to feel that Thank you. So, uh, next question is very similar. How can someone add long-term value to you or your business? Long-term value. Uh, you know, it's probably the same with you, uh, Jerome. My best friend growing up is a kid named Gary Phillips. Okay. And we, we don't talk. We might talk once a year. Sometimes it's just a quick text. But I know... I, he loves me and I love him. Right. Mm -hmm. it, it, and it's almost as if you just, uh, to me, I'd like to be able to reach out to somebody and say, how are you? Right. And somebody reach out to me and say, how are you? Right. Just because they're thinking of you. Right. And so I think that long-term just uh, being who you are and opening yourself to those, I don't have to talk to you every day. Right. I, I, okay. But I know if I ever need you, I can just, hey, Jerome, I got a question about this. And you'll you'll respond, right? And that's when you have Absolutely. best friends. That's what they do. They, there's no ulterior motive, right? Mm -hmm. I have a good friend of mine that I call him the guy that tells me I suck. That's what I call him, right? Because sometimes he'll say, Kyle, you need to stop. I'll say, what are you talking about? He said, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> and, and guess what I'll do? I'll listen because he loves me. He, yes. I know those he, are good friends. Yeah, I know he's not saying it because he wants to get over on me or he has an ulterior motive. He's saying it because he cares. Right. I know mm. he, his his alter his ulterior motives 
or I, I want you to be your best, right? And so he'll tell me sometimes, Kyle, that's a bad idea. You need to stop that crap. You, uh-uh, that's it. And I'm like, oh, really? But And I don't know how he got there because not everybody's there, right, Jerome? You, yeah. I'm not listening to everybody. Right. You know, right. but I am listening to those people that, that create value in that way, mm-hmm. right? And they're open to you saying, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. I, I'd never say that that way. I'd say, I'm not so sure about that. Maybe you should consider, right? So adding yeah. value long-term is just, if you have expertise, don't be afraid to share it because I'm open for it, you know? And and the two-way communication kind of thing is powerful too, is be, is be open to listening as well. Maybe that's why we like each other so much is because I can see, right? I'm here to learn, right? I'm not crossing. Yeah, you got things I can learn from. I got things you can learn from. Let's roll, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, it's like getting close, man. It's, this went fast. So uh, I'm in real estate. So we call we have this thing called the closing table where you like close down the deal. So these questions are the closing table and it lets the audience know that it's coming to an end. Uh, okay. Closing table question. What is one question you wish I had asked you and how would you have answered? You know, I saw that one when I... <laughs> You know what? You've asked me all the questions you need to ask me. I guess maybe uh, you may have one question you I I may have not liked if you were to ask me, but you probably is how did I manage my wife? Right. Please share because yeah, you shared that before, and I really value you sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, it's. uh, so I'm I'm naturally I've I've created a world where I'm naturally buoyant. And so I've always believed there's nothing I can't handle. Right. And I and I even searched for it after my wife passed away. I searched for it in all kinds of scriptures and all kinds of references. God won't give you more than you can handle because I felt like this was more than I could handle. Right. This is my best friend, it's the mother of my children. It's my I mean, we had created a, a marriage that was just top one percent people could people would meet us and say well we can tell you guys love each other just but right and that's what you hope for in your life is someone who right so so the ripping of her away from me was devastating and i thought it was more than i can handle right and it 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 forced me to turn more to divinity right i've always been one who says i got this right i'm the man i got this Ain't nothing you can bring on that I can't take. There are things that can happen mm-hmm. that force us to find that divinity, right? And I've always had that divinity in my life, but I've never relied on it more than I than I did once she passed away, right? Because he took her. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's part of me that says that, right? He could have prevented, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot goes on in those situations. Yeah, yeah. Working through those things and understanding that your my faith. I'm not really a in-your-face faith guy. It's more personal for me. Yeah. But I've learned also that I need to, in every aspect of my life, rely on that as much as I possibly can. You know, because there are going to be times where you're going to be tested and tried, and we all want to pass that test, right? And not we don't just want to pass it. We want to be the model for how you pass that test, right? And I think through 
you know, the, through the help of divinity, we can we can pass every test and we can pass it in a way that allows other people to say, dang, that that that's that's some hard stuff. And that that guy's doing it right. That's what we want. Right. We want to we want to model. Right? That's who we want to be, I think. At least that's who I want to be. Right. Maybe yes. I don't know if everybody wants to be that. I think you do, too, Jerome. <laughs> I do. I do. And that's one of the reasons why I connected to you. I appreciate your uh, how authentic and vulnerable and how much you share. It's like a beautiful thing. So thank you. Sure. Um, where can listeners find out more about you online? And then I would like for you to talk about your uh, like your challenge and what you do for people in that challenge. Yeah, so you can find me on Facebook if you type in Solving At-Home Autism Challenges. Okay. Yeah, if they go to Solving At-Home Autism Challenges, that'll be me. Okay. And so um, that's how you can find me. That's the best way because you can, you know, I've got a group you can join or you can just go to the Facebook page and read about what we do. But in our challenge, what we do is I'm I'm not a guy who uh, – leaves things to chance, right? I like to be very uh, planned and map out. For instance, you know, I played basketball in high school too. And I remember going onto the court and being the only white kid on the court, right? And guys would say, watch him, he can shoot. I would say, how do you know I can shoot? And they would say, because you're white and you're on the court, right? And they were right. They were right, right? But it wasn't because I just thought I'm going to be a good shooter. Right. I studied shooting. I studied every aspect of it. I created for myself the, you know, bending the knees, driving through the legs, using the body, right? Every portion of it I knew in detail. And I would even I would even play these games mentally where I would make a thousand jump shots in my mind, right? I was working at it. You know what I'm saying? And so I've always been one. And and when you do that, you get those results, right? I didn't just go to the gym and shoot. I wanted to study the details and learn from those who had done it before. And, and so in my, in my program, not only did I solve, not only did I fix our family and create a world where we could thrive, even as we face those difficult challenges, mm -hmm. I mapped it out, right? I said, here's what I'm going to do first, second, third, fourth. Some of the stuff didn't work. I had to throw it out, mm -hmm. but I basically created a curriculum all the way from the very, very beginning, which was belief. I, I didn't even think it was possible. Nobody was happy. Nobody had a great family when they were dealing with this stuff. Right. So I had, to, I had to even create my own belief all the way through the recipes and the steps and the, the following up and the accountability and all those things are a vital part of going from, you know, A to Z. Right. Especially if you don't even think it's possible. Right. And so in my, in my challenge, the five day challenge, I start with belief, right. And I start with, your disbelief and what you think. And we talk about that. And then, you know, day two, we talk about the, the some mistakes you're making and framework works. And we do some, we apply some things in the, in the middle of it. And then on, you know, as we go through the week, it's action oriented, right? And I want people to start taking action and having success during the week. And as they do, they start to build this confidence, right? And with confidence and com and competence, you know, you start to build that belief. And so by the end of the week, I've got people that have that belief. They realize, you know what, not only I can do this, right? I can, it can be done and I can do this. 
And so that's really what I do th throughout my challenges say, this is not your new life. Is I hate the words, it is what it is. I hate that. People say it is what it is. I'm like, oh, no, no, you're giving, that's a give up statement, right? Mm -hmm. I don't like it. I don't, I don't believe it is what it is. You know, it is what you make it, right? And uh -huh. so I, I walk them through those steps and, and it's very action oriented and I'm requiring people to do things so that they start to build that confidence and competence and they have success and they see it during the week. And by the end of the week, you know, I've got parents that are telling me, hey, I tried this one thing and it worked and I feel like the greatest parent in the world. Right. And it, and it gives me goosebumps because I'm like, I know. <laughs> right. It's so great. Right. They can feel it. And I can feel it. And I, and I think they laugh at me because I get so excited. They think this guy's more excited than I am. I, I know because I know what it does. It changes lives. Yeah. Right. I, I get mm -hmm. so, I see their success and I start getting all giddy and bubbly. And, uh, you know, they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm I got goosebumps. Right? I, I just right. These yeah. things start happening. So that's what I do in my five day challenges. We go from you thinking this is your new life of pain and struggle and day to day difficulties and stress and chaos to a world where you manage yourself in such a great way that you feel like the greatest parent in the world. You feel like you're lowering stress in your family and you feel like there's a map and a plan for creating this family that doesn't, you know, a lot of families say they love each other, but I know they don't like each other. Mm -hmm. Right. By the end of the, by the end of the week, I want you to believe not only can we love each other, but we can like each other too. Right. And want to do things together. And it, and it just, and that's what I have as a family. And that is really what I want for other families. So my goal is to, to get to that point in that five-day challenge. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, tell us again how we can get access to that challenge and join you in the challenge. Yeah, so just go to uh, Solving At-Home Autism Challenges on Facebook, and you will find me there. And uh, just pop in there. And, you know, there's plenty of ways to contact me through that Facebook page. That's the easiest. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. You got it, All right. Um, if you could, uh, what is, okay. So most people close things down with like a closing statement, like a bunch of words. I had a guest before and she's like, I don't do statements. I do one word. So if you could close this down with one word, what word would that be? One word is hope. 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 Tell us right. why you chose hope. I just think hope is a driving force in everything we do. Right. Okay. So you don't know this, Jerome. Today's my birthday. Oh, man. You got, I do. Happy birthday, Kyle. Happy birthday. So here's what happened to me this morning, Jerome. I woke up with a migraine. I, I get migraines once a month or so, and they're debilitating. Mm -hmm. Right? So I woke up. I had a migraine. I still have to get my kids to school. I have to get, I have to be, I have to do what I have to do. Right? So I faked it all morning. Got my kids to school. They say, happy birthday, dad. I said, oh, thank you. Right. And then my, my head is killing me. Right? I'm, I'm seeing stars and I'm faking it. And I, I drop my kids off and I'm coming home. And I think not today, you know, and I start missing my wife and, and special days bring back these, this pain, you know? Yeah. And so I, I thought, you know what? I'm going to take a 30 minute nap. It's going to rejuvenate me. I'm going to get rid of this headache. And everything's going to be beautiful, right? It's hope, right? It's just this hope. Yeah. Right? So I, I lay down on the couch. I stick an ice pack on my head. And I start dreaming about my wife. Right? And in my dream, I know it's a dream. 
you know, it's been 18 months since you passed away. Initially, I didn't know it was a dream and I was confused, right? Now, I, when I see her in my dreams, I know it's a dream. And so I saw her and I ran up to her and wrapped my arms around her and hugged her real tight and I kissed her. And I said, I love you. And she said, I love you too. And I said, no, no. I want you to know how much I love you. And she said, I know how much you love me because I feel it in my bones because you're crushing me. That's what she said to me, right? <laughs> and so I woke up, right? And I thought, and my headache was gone and I was rejuvenated, right? I just was a new man immediately. Back to my normal, happy, buoyant, full of life self, right? Because it's it's hope, right? It's just this hope yeah. of things to come and hope of future happiness and hope of, right? And hope just carries me. Right. I, I believe in divinity. I believe I'll see her again. I believe and, and that, that hope drives me. Right. It's a driving force in my life. Kyle, I appreciate you. I appreciate your emotions. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. And we'll talk. I'm going to close us down and then like I'll talk to you in the green room. So thank you for your time so much, Kyle. Happy birthday. And thank you for sharing everything with me and with our audience here. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Jerome. I sure appreciate Absolutely. it. It's been fun. Absolutely. Stick around for like a couple more minutes so I can close this down. All right. You got it.